And if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, chapter 18. So it's the first book in the New Testament, if that helps you out. My name's Joe Crummy, one of the leaders here of Christ Central. I'm going to be speaking this morning, and we're going to pick things up where we were last week. So I'll just do a quick review, in case you weren't here. And basically, as we've been looking through the book of Matthew, we've been looking at Jesus coming to establish a new kingdom with him being king. And it's not one that has to do with geography and land and things like that. It has to do like with a spiritual realm and being followers of him. And we've been taking a look at what that is to be a follower of Jesus, the things he talked about, the things he uh, asked of, and f- being followers of him. And then we began to look at, as Jesus sort of begins to talk to his disciples, his followers, his students who are coming together, he then talks to them about coming together as a community, as a family, as a group together. So there's a personal part to it in that we follow Jesus in a personal choice, but then it's right along with that, in making that choice, you bring yourself into being with other followers of Jesus. And Jesus wants his uh, followers to act differently together than sort of how the world acts. And so last week, we took a look at what it meant to be a follower and coming together. We looked at things like being childlike and being humble and being able to come in with that faith and trust in Jesus as a child has in a parent and how we're to care for one another with Jesus being the ultimate good shepherd. But we are to look out for each other and we're to care for each other. And there's ways we can do that within as a church family. And we talked a lot about choices, that we have personal choices that can affect whether or not we're going to be together in that group, and helping each other out. And we also looked at how Jesus warned, really, for us, in our decisions that we make, that we don't want to do anything that's going to prevent others from coming to know Jesus, or even those who are already following Jesus, to be tripped up in their walk with Jesus. And so today, we're going to come at things a little bit different, because Jesus continues in looking at his community together. But we're going to look at, as we continue on in Matthew 18, some things about not... If you sin and cause somebody to sort of trip up, but what happens if somebody sins against you? And so we're going to look at it from that angle and then just talk about some, again, key principles of what it is to be part of the family of God, to be a follower of Jesus together in his church. So let's read uh, the passage together. We'll pick it up, and I'll just start off where we left off last week. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains And go in search of the one that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So again, reflects the Father's heart. And Jesus continues. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, or some translations say a pagan, and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Woohoo, way to go, Peter. 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. There's so many translations have 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So that's about $6 billion, okay? So some serious amount of coin. And since he could not pay, no kidding, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him about 100 denarii, about $12,000 in our day. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he, until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Woo-wee! We've got a lot to cover here on these ones. I mean, man, you can tell when people say that Jesus was just a good teacher and that, hey, I'll take some of Jesus, but I won't take... They, have, they haven't read, have they, really, the words of Jesus? Because they're very provoking words. And if we're to take them seriously, then it encompasses a whole lot of things. And I've just sort of entitled this one as we look at community life and being together with Jesus. This one talks really about accountability, how we're in this together. So let's just take a look at some of these things really from the first section about community life and how do we handle when things happen. And if you've been around any sort of relationships, unless you live on an island by yourself and you probably even get upset with yourself, there's going to be conflict in our world. And even among, in church, people are going to do things that are going to wrong you or offend you or be something against you. So it's not a question of if it will happen, okay? The question is, when it happens, how do we deal with it? How do we handle that? And we've seen throughout the ages, a lot of churches get split and destroyed and all kinds of different things because people haven't really dealt well with when people do things wrong against them, what do they do? And a lot of times it turns inward and people get bitter and there's gossip and all these things. And Jesus wants to provide a way to deal with these things. So when they happen, there's a healthy way to do it. And so that's what we want to look at. What happens when somebody does something to you, then Jesus gives a process for that to happen. So let's just look at some of these things, and some of this might be familiar to you. Others, hey, this could really help you out in how to deal with things. So Jesus says, first of all, sounds simple, but it can be difficult. You go one-on-one with the person. So in our day and age, here's what it does not mean. Don't use email. Don't use Facebook. Don't even use the phone. All right? You go to the person face to face. 
Now that is really difficult, okay? And things like this happen all the time, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult to be the person who receives when someone comes to you and says, hey, did you know you did this against me? That's hard to hear. It's also hard to be the one to go and to confront somebody. And in church life, this is why it's so important. We talk about it, but this is where it really gets fleshed out. We talk about that as a church community, we're supposed to be full of grace to one another. And what does that actually mean? Does that mean we pray before a meal every time? Well, that could be one thing. But grace means more than just praying and thanking God for our food. Grace is this. It's an attitude, okay? And it's an empowering from God that when we know that when we become Christians, that we're accepted by God and our identities in God and what God says about us, then we can lose a lot of insecurities that might make conflict and confrontation difficult. So when we go one-on-one, okay, we should have a lot of those things already put to rest that if someone says something to me, it's not going to destroy me if they're doing it in the right way because I'm already secure in Christ and I can hear them. That's a really important thing. So just some things to take a look at. As we said, there's privacy involved. You're going one-on-one, so you're not getting other people involved. You're not causing a rumor mill. You're not causing gossip. You're just going one-on-one. And hopefully, nine times out of ten, that's where it's going to, and no one else needs to even know anything happened. Okay? Now, the only little thing with that is that sometimes you might, if it's like a male and a female, female, you know, male sort of thing, you might need one other person there just to keep it, okay? There's a few common sense things there. But the point is, you do it in privacy. We do it in humility. You're not going to win an argument, okay? You're going to get things right so that nothing causes any rift between us and God and one another. So we come in humble. Because if we come in, you know what? The reality is we could be wrong. Maybe we we misunderstood something. Maybe, you know, we have a filter on. Maybe anything. The other thing is Jesus mentioned sin. So here's another thing you have to do before you go meet with the person. You have to really know for sure, is what the person did or said or didn't do or whatever, is it actually a sin or did it something just kind of rub you the wrong way? So it's really important you take some time to pray before you even go to the person and line up our standards the Bible and say, did somebody do something or did I just maybe misinterpret it? Okay, And if you're not sure, then how about you just do this? Okay, Don't go there. Okay, Just let it go. But if it's at you and you think, okay, according to the word of God, I feel someone has done something against me and it really is a sin and it lines up, then you can follow the other things. And this is our heart. Every single time, this is our heart. We want to be restored in our relationship with that person. If there's any sort of rift or wall between us. So can I say again, you're not trying to win an argument. Many times in church life, you can win the argument, but you've lost the whole thing. So you can win an argument, but you can lose a friend. Okay, And that causes division in the church. Our goal, our heart, as with God, we see it, and with one another, our heart is always, we want to see people restored. So if someone's done some sin, that can cause okay, a separation between them and God. We want that restored. We want them right with God, and we want them right with each other, because our relationships, that horizontal relationships within church is important, and it affects the whole body. And so we want to do right in all of that. And our heart is always restoration. That has to be the heart behind it all. 
And as Jesus said elsewhere, okay, when you go to see somebody and you go to confront them, okay, you always have in the back of your head, how would I want to be treated? Okay? And if you've ever had anyone confront you, it's much easier and you're so appreciative when they come in low and just like, hey, this happened. I'm just not quite sure if this is what you meant and benefit the doubt and I just let's just be clear about it. I don't want any misunderstanding. I don't want any disunity. I don't want anything. And we come in low and humble. That is a much easier thing to receive than coming in guns a-blazing. Okay. So we have to learn how to receive confrontation. We have to learn how to give it. And Jesus says it's healthy to be able to do that. Okay. It's healthy. Okay. It's healthy. When things get buried and bitterness and resentment and all that grows, that's when things get unhealthy. Or if we're ticked off about every little thing, when really it's just a matter of opinion and not actually sin, then we're in trouble as well. Okay? So those are some guidelines, one-on-one. If things, the person doesn't listen to you, then we go to the next step, because it's a whole process that goes with it. You take two or three others, and Jesus could be referring to a couple things there. Okay? Maybe the two or three others maybe saw what took place, and so therefore they come in sort of as, Witnesses to establish credibility. Most of the time, they might not know what took place, but they're there to witness how the next conversation goes. Do you follow me on that? Because you went one-on-one, and maybe the person didn't listen to you. Maybe the person had a bad attitude. We don't know. We just know that it needs to go to the second stage. You bring in a couple people with you just to observe how you are and how they are in the next conversation. That's what he's referring to. Because if it needs to go to the third stage, you've got some witnesses to say, hey, we were there, okay, Joe came, and uh, hey, Gary brought this, and Joe reacted horribly. Okay, he wouldn't even listen to Gary. He just you know, wouldn't even have anything. He told Gary off, and we were there. We saw it. You've got some witnesses. Not just Gary's word against my word. We've had some witnesses to establish it. Likewise, you have some witnesses. Everything goes well to say, well done. So we want protection with those witnesses that protects both parties okay so that's really really key you just need to choose wisely who you might pick to go with you and again you follow the same sort of attitude as you do in the first one okay and here's a really important thing because in this example jesus says three times this person did not listen so i encourage you okay this week in our parenting course okay was all about and I laughed through the whole thing because I thought, we as a church need to take the parenting course just even if you're not parents, okay? Because the parenting course this week was all about developing and establishing healthy relationships. Now, in the context of helping your kids develop healthy relationships, I thought, this is pastoral care 101. Like, everybody should hear this. And one of the most important points was all about listening. And they gave all kinds of practical steps and help on how to listen to your kids. And we need to learn how to listen to one another. Because what happens is, as we're listening, guess what we're doing? We go into defense lawyer mode. So when someone's talking to you, you're already coming about with your rebuttal before you're even listening to what they're saying. So as they start in, your defense mechanism kicks in, and you can't wait to like, my turn! And you just come out, and you just go for it. That's not what happened. You haven't listened or understood a thing anyone said. So listening is really key on both parties. So listen. Understand. Take your time. You got to sometimes talk back. Hey, 
okay, if I'm hearing you correctly, this is what I think I heard you say. And you say back what you think the person said. And they can say, hey, you heard me. You, you got it. and say, no, that's not what I meant at all. Well, let's try this again. So we need good listening in marriages. We need good listening in family life. We need good listening in church life. And then Jesus says, okay, if things still aren't there, then we go to the next one. And you can see how this is in the context of community. Community, community, community. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you just can't be isolated, or these things, you can't apply them. And that's why we believe in the value of the local church. Okay, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to be in community to live out the Christian life and to put into practice the things and the commands and the things of Jesus. So we bring it to the church. There's a context of community. Okay? Now, let's just go over some things. There's some consequences if we don't listen. And Jesus is saying this. There's consequences that if things go well, there's restoration, the church is healthy, hallelujah. There's consequences if people don't listen. And Jesus says this, and it's a bit of a one that different churches interpret different ways. He's saying, hey, if you go through that whole process and the person won't listen, the person refuses to deal with sin and all of that, then there's consequences, okay? Then tell it to the church, and again, that church, we'll come back to that in a second. Does that mean everybody or part of the church? And then you treat them as a pagan Gentile tax collector. Now here, let's just talk about this for a second. What does that actually mean? Because some people in some churches would see this. If someone doesn't do that process, they're excommunicated from church, and you never talk to them again. That's what some, how some churches take it. Okay? I think there's a different way of looking at it. I think the relationship definitely changes. That you can't have the same relationship as you did when that person was totally united and part of church life. Something changes. You, it changes. The attitude changes. The atmosphere of what you talk about, everything changes. But we also see from Jesus' life, guess what? He still hung out with tax collectors and pagans, but it was a different thing. It was in winning them back to the gospel of Jesus and pointing them to Jesus, maybe in a different way than when they were in the church. Okay? So we have to have some help from the Holy Spirit to know when we talk about people and if they say in church life sin and they go through this process and they don't follow it, and either they walk away, or we say, as leaders and elders of the church, and that's why we had to have last week talking about shepherds overseeing the church, then we have to be in agreement that what the game plan is and how we treat people. And we're always praying, because what's our heart again? What's our heart through this whole thing? Restoration, exactly. That is the heart behind it. So even if people are, are excluded from things, and they're not treated the same, we're still praying for them, Okay, we still have a good attitude toward them. We're still bringing before God and we're still presenting Jesus to them. It's just going to look different than when they were completely united in the church with everything. Okay? And we have to have some wisdom and great sensitivity and tact and thoughtfulness to know how we do that best. Okay? And it depends a lot of time on people's attitudes and different things who have maybe left or who've been asked to leave. Okay? So it's a real, it's whew, tough stuff, isn't it? But this is how church life is supposed to be. And in our church, okay, we try to do these things. And a lot of times, when we tell the church if things get to that, if they're, unless they're in a position of leadership, 
we tell the group probably most affected by their presence or absence now from being there. It's very rarely that we get up on a Sunday morning and say, hey, this is what's going on with so-and-so. If it was one of us as elders, yes, it, you would all know. Okay? Because leaders, elders and that are supposed to be, okay, it's a public rebuking. Okay? If we do something wrong and we don't repent from it and that. Okay? Most of the time, members in church life, we tell the people that are most affected. So a lot of times we've told a life group. If a person was in a life group and they're not there anymore and we've gone through those steps, we might gather, or if they're involved in some sort of ministry or area of church life, we might gather. And for us, that's telling the church. Okay? It's not telling everybody. And if people have questions, they can come and talk to us. And that's part of healthy church life. Okay? And one of the things, and I think it's because we deal with these things, is one of the things in a good way that most people who are involved in our church, this is a good sign, okay? is a lot of times when these things happen, a lot of people say, oh, I didn't know anything. Good. Why is that a good sign? Because people haven't been gossiping and everything amongst. We deal with things to keep the body healthy and to honor the name of Jesus, and we're obeying Jesus. That's accountability. Now, do you see why when we say things like this as leaders, okay, when we ask people, we just need to know, if you're going to be part of this local church, we just need to know that, that you consider this your local church because we are responsible for walking these things out. Okay? And if you're not part of our church, then there's not much we can do to help you get restored if something goes wrong. Or you don't have really much right to speak into us unless you're part of family. And so that's why we say, okay, give lots of people space to find things out, try us, build a relationship, taste and see sort of thing. But at some point, we ask for people, hey, can you make a commitment to this local church so that we can fulfill these things for your good and for our, when we stand before God, to say that we've tried to shepherd the sheep as well as we can do in fulfilling these things. Hey, that's the context that we're always coming from. Hmm? Boy, it's quiet in here this morning. <laughs> Not too many amens on that one. <laughs> oh, it's hard. It really is. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's being a follower of Jesus. Okay? And if we can do this, then, as Gary was saying earlier, it is a, a city of refuge when you can deal these things and people can still remain friends and people can get through things, okay? And there's a bond that happens. And Jesus says a couple of things, okay? Just to finish off this point about authority, prayer, and his presence. He's saying he gives authority to leaders that, to fulfill these things. So it wasn't just Jesus saying this. So that binding and loosing, he's saying, that's for you as leaders, that you can do these things, and it affects spiritual things. Because a lot of the times, there's a spiritual battle going on. It's not just the sin and people between people. There's a battle going on. Because we have an enemy who wants to destroy the church. Okay? And so we need okay, to have a lot of prayer going on. And Jesus saying in this one, specific to this context, if you agree together in prayer for restoration, then I'm all over it. Because that's my heart. So he's not saying, hey, whatever two or three get together and you just ask for it in Jesus' name, boom, it's done. That's not the context. The context is in this thing, as we get together and we pray for unity and for restoration and these things to go Boom, God is all over that prayer. And it, isn't it interesting? 
And I don't know how many thousands of times I've probably heard this quote. And most of the time, it's always to do with life group or when church is struggling, there's only a couple people there. Hey, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, Jesus is there. Hallelujah. Guess what the context is in dealing with conflict? That's the context. So, when two or three are gathered and we're dealing with this stuff and it's hard, okay, then it's great encouragement to know that, guess what Jesus said? He'd be right there. Jesus is in our midst. And folks, I've been in a lot of great meetings in worship, and I've felt the power of God. I've fallen under the power of God. I've experienced the power of God, and it is incredible. But I've also felt the power of God in the most anxiety, stress-filled, tough relational meetings that are really hard, and there's tears, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and nobody wants to be there, and we're trying to work these things out. And just as much in a corporate worship God, we're all going for God. I felt the presence of Almighty Jesus in our midst because he is concerned about his church in unity and brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. And Jesus is there. I can say I have evidence of Jesus being alive, not just from healings and miracles and corporate things. I know Jesus is alive because in the crappiest meetings, Jesus is there helping his church. And that's evidence of Jesus is real. So it's a different sort of evidence. <laughs> but Jesus says, two or three, you're gathered, you're praying, you're seeking unity, you're trying to help each other out. Jesus says, I'm, I'm all over it. I'm there. And that was Jesus' example. And that's what Jesus says today. It gives us great courage, doesn't it? To know when we deal with these things, Jesus is in our midst. That he hears our prayers. So as a follower of Jesus, together in community, there's accountability. We deal with sin, because Jesus deals with sin. Okay? And he deals with relationships, and he deals with his honor. And isn't it interesting? The next thing that comes is this whole thing about forgiveness. So we've got all this thing about church discipline, and care, and accountability, and tied with it is this whole thing of forgiveness. And forgiveness is an absolutely another key principle of being a follower of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his family, okay? And Peter comes along, and we know kind of Peter and his background. And in Peter's day, sort of Old Testament, sort of to really stretch and really be a good God follower, you forgave someone three times, and then it was over, okay? That was sort of the, so when Peter's coming, that's his context. He's saying, hey, Jesus, you know, three times, how about seven times, So Peter, probably more out of pride than anything, is trying to kind of wiggle to the front again and give a good answer. And Jesus backs it up with this illustration of saying, okay, it's not just three times, it's an ongoing thing. Forgiveness is an ongoing thing. So let's just take a look at some things to do with this. And Jesus illustrates by telling a story. And so Jesus says, okay, Peter, but then he nails it home with this story. And it really is an incredible story, isn't it? And I find it's one of those stories where you're kind of reading it, and you're kind of with uh, it, and then you kind of get nailed at the end. Because you're kind of going for the guy, you know, okay, hey, he had a great debt. I mean, just think about $6 billion. And how crazy is it? And Jesus really stretches to say, this guy coming to his master saying, hey, just give me a little bit more time, I'll pay the whole thing off. Right. 
I mean, it's foolishness, isn't it? This guy is just minimum wage earner, okay? And he's saying, hey, boss, just give me a little bit more time, man. I know I can do it, okay? I don't know if there was a lottery system back there where he could have won something that maybe would make a dent in it. I'm not quite sure. And again, in that that day, you could sell yourself, you could sell your family to into slavery to get some money, and uh, they're not worth $6 billion. So Jesus in this story, he's trying to illustrate how great the debt is, and there's no hope that this guy's going to pay it off. And of course, what happens if you're put in jail? How much money can you earn in jail? That's right. So it's a great debt, and his master takes pity on him, and he cancels the debt, and he lets the guy go free. And Jesus is using that as a story, okay, to say, folks, we have a great debt against a holy God, and most of the time, we don't have a sweet clue how great our debt is towards God, because we have a holy God who is perfect Okay? And you think about it, folks. Okay? Depending upon how old you are, you've been racking up debt against God for a long time. <laughs> hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year after year. And if we're honest with ourselves, and we'd all say, hey, I'm not perfect, well, there we owe God right there. In our attitude, in our actions, so many things, and Paul in the book of Romans says this. says the wages of sin, so what you earn for sinning, leads to death. And he's saying physical death, that you're going to physically die. But he's saying more so spiritual death, that you are cut off from God, okay, both here on planet Earth in a relationship, but also in the one to come, that there is eternal life, and that you're cut off from God's presence in heaven. So there's a great debt that we owe. And just as we might think, okay, if I'm earning minimum wage and I've got a few more years to live and I owe $6 billion, and you can say, well, God just extends my life by another 20 years. That will help. Or if I can sell this off, there ain't no way you're paying off that debt. And God's saying the same thing for us. We owe such a debt to God that there's no way we can pay it off. We can't do anything. We have no hope. And Jesus is pointing, okay? He's pointing again to the cross. Because if you remember Brent's message from two weeks ago, Jesus has just started telling the people now, hey guys, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to die. You're not going to see me anymore. This is all coming. And in this story, the master had pity and he forgave the debt. Jesus is saying, there's coming a time when not only will God forgive, he can forgive because someone else has paid $6 billion. So Jesus is pointing to the time when on the cross, he's going to give his life, the perfect life, the one that didn't have any debt towards God, and he's going to take on our debt, and he's going to pay it off to the master. So not only is the master going to forgive it, but the actual debt is going to be paid. That is an hallelujah. That's a yes and amen. Because Jesus is pointing to a day when he's going to be on the cross, where he's going to take all the sin and shame and all the things, okay? And we can think about, okay, if you have a problem thinking, man, I don't really know how I sinned against God and a holy God, and what would God have against me? I'm a pretty good 
person, okay, to God, okay, all of our good stuff, okay, equals, okay, if you think, and you just read a newspaper this week or online, you think of all the horrible things that have happened just this past week, okay, we got child abuse, we got murder, we got all these things, every headline, and there's something in us kind of goes like, ugh, And there's something in you kind of wants justice and there's something in you that just goes, that's wrong and you're sad and you're sorrowful, okay? Whatever we think are our good things, okay? That's kind of the equivalent. So whatever makes you sick when you see other things, okay? When we fall short of God's glory, that's what makes God, that's how God sees it. So you need to have a proper view of our debt towards God in order to understand his great mercy. You won't appreciate Jesus if you don't know there was a great debt you had towards a holy God that you couldn't pay. And because God's a God of justice, you deserve okay, to go to jail. You deserve to go to hell. Okay. That's the reality of it. And we have to see that there's great justice and great mercy because Jesus paid the debt and as Gary even prayed out in our worship, okay, Jesus paid the debt. And God looks on Jesus. And when we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he considers us righteous. The debt is paid and we are forgiven. And folks, that's the great news. It's nothing we've done. We couldn't earn it. But someone else did it for us. And we say yes to what they've done. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. Now, the thing is, just as we close, okay, and Adam did a great job the other night exploring Christianity, okay? Adam talked about how we hold things in our hands, okay? And we have to let them down or let go of them in order for us to be freed up to receive. Okay, folks? And one of the biggest things that we deal with in pastoral care is this whole issue of resentment. And people, all the time, all the time, and I know it's this way, if you knew what I went through, and if you knew what this person that did to me, you also couldn't forgive them, because I just can't forgive them. Okay? And in this illustration, his fellow servant owed him money, $12,000. Who, who wouldn't want $12,000 back, right? Okay, it was a significant amount. But in comparison to what this guy owed of $6 billion, it didn't seem so <laughs> significant anymore. And we need to have an understanding of, when we know how much we've been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, that releases us of resentment, of bitterness we have towards other people, all those things. And as God begins to heal us and we begin to know that God loves us and he accepts us, we can let down our resentment in order to receive forgiveness from God in order that as we're forgiven, guess what? We can become forgiving people. But if we don't let down the resentment and the need to get right and the need for someone to get payback and vengeance and all those things, okay, then we'll never receive and you can never go on forgiving. Because forgiveness is this. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. Okay? And as we've talked many times about forgiveness, we don't have time to get into it this morning. Okay? Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did was right. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they're still on the hook to God. They're still accountable to God. But we release them. They don't owe us anything. And it frees us up. How they react, that's out of our control. We're just responsible to deal with our own crap, okay? We're responsible to let go of resentment and to forgive 
And whatever, if they laugh in our face, they're still, God, God will deal with them, okay? And we go on forgiving. That's the 70 times 7. Jesus is saying it's an attitude. And in the kingdom of God, in the city of refuge called the church, we need to be a forgiving people. And when we know how much we've been forgiven, we can like, whew. Okay? It doesn't mean that people haven't been hurt and people have done horrible things to you. Absolutely not. We're not sloughing it off at all. We're saying, we need to get you freed up because resentment is like a slave. It enslaves you. And we want to see you free to be all that God wants you to be. All right, last thing. Jesus is saying this. Okay? There's consequences to how we deal with these things. There's consequences how we deal with accountability, and there's consequences how we deal with forgiveness. And the great news is this. Restoration is possible. Jesus has made a way for us to be restored to a relationship with our Father in Heaven. Hallelujah. That is the best news on planet Earth. We can't do it ourselves, but he does it for us. And we accept that. We let go of our things, and we receive that. Okay? Then there's a dynamic, life-changing. You're not just adding on a philosophy. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. It's, he's living and active, and he begins to produce fruit in you that you couldn't do on your own. Okay? So there's great consequences of following Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, because he empowers you then to forgive. And he gives you fruit, the Bible says. He gives you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. <laughs> Hallelujah, I need all of those <laughs> big time. And it's not something you just try to whip up. The Holy Spirit produces those things in you. But folks, there's great consequences if we don't forgive. And it leads to ruin. And at the end of this, story, Jesus really nails us, hey? Because we're kind of like, oh man. And he says, okay, the master says to this guy, I forgave you everything. Why? Yeah. Away. He sends them to the jailers. And he says, hey, in jail, when you pay it all off, I'll let you out. It ain't going to happen, is it, folks? Okay. D.A. Carson says this in his commentary. Okay. It says, Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly, and neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept as his those devoid of compassion and mercy. This is not to say that the king's compassion can be earned. Far from it. The servant is granted freedom only by virtue of the king's forgiveness. Those who are forgiven must forgive lest they show themselves incapable of receiving forgiveness. So folks, as we close today, okay, the option's really there. Okay? And let me just leave this word okay, with you in application. As we were worshiping this morning, I believe God gave me a picture. Okay? I believe it was for many of you here this morning. There's probably two applications to it. In worship, and as Angela had that word about the Redeemer, okay, I saw it was like a FedEx truck pulled up, okay, and out comes the driver, and the driver's got a gift, a package, and it comes to you, and you're completely surprised you didn't see it coming. Like, I didn't order anything, and the person comes with the package, and the only thing you need to do is what? You've got to sign for it. Okay? 
You've got a gift. It's been paid in full. It's got your name on it. It is personally delivered to you. Someone's gone out of their way to get it right. They've come right to your house, right to you. And the only thing you have to do is you've got to sign for it. Folks, there's two applications that this morning. Many of you, you're surprised this morning because God has come right to you. You didn't go looking for it. God has come to you. And he's come with his forgiveness. And he's come with his gift of eternal life and salvation. And you didn't go looking for it. It surprised you. And guess what? It is already paid in full. But you have to do one thing. You have to take ownership of it. Let me just read Romans 6.23, that full thing for you, okay? If I can find it here, make sure I get it right. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul says other, earlier or later in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation, okay, to be forgiven and to live eternally with God is a gift. But you've got to put your name to it. You've got to take ownership and say, I receive, and I sign on the dotted line. Okay? I, it's mine now. Okay? That's one application. The second application is this. Okay? Some of you need to forgive people. Okay? And again, that analogy. Jesus is here. He's coming to you this morning. He's pulled up. He's got the gift. You need to take ownership. You get a sign on it to say, I, I'm a forgiven person. I owe what I, I couldn't pay it off. Jesus has paid. And in light of what Jesus has done, I can forgive other people. But you have to do that. You have to confess to you now. I forgive so and so. Okay? I can forgive them of this. They do not owe me anything. And we're going to leave them to God. Okay? And that's available for you here this morning. So I want to lead us in a prayer and then I want to give time. I know our time's gone but if you need to respond to one of those two things here this morning okay, and some of you might need to work some things out this week okay, in your life groups, one-on-one you might need to deal with some things okay, let's get our house in order in dealing with these things okay, but let me lead us in a prayer and then if you need to respond to either one of those two things okay, now is the time all right, so Father in heaven, we thank you again for your great love. That you show who you are. We thank you for your son Jesus who demonstrated your great love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And we thank you this morning that the great debt that we owe you is paid through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God, I pray this morning, Lord, if you surprise some people here this morning, that they are right there ready to receive your gift of salvation. Lord Jesus, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, the one who convicts and the only one who can reveal Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you illuminate this great truth today that people would say yes. And God, I pray for those who may be bound up in unforgiveness. Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, may they recognize what you've done for them that they might choose to forgive others. And we trust you with the consequences as we do our part. God, I pray for freedom here today, for your great name, Lord, for the unity of the church, Lord, and to be a witness to the world. 
We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do.